Hello, hello. Welcome to a brand new episode of the SaaS Prince podcast, the podcast for content marketers in SaaS. And I'm your host, Yag. In this episode, we are going to look at how to leverage content for evangelism in the world of event-led growth. And to talk about that, we have my good friend, Nick Bennett, the Senior Director of Event-Led Growth and Evangelism at Airmeet. So Nick, we go, uh, we go back a long time. So welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, you know, it's it's great. I feel like we've known each other for years. We've never met in person, but I feel like I know you better than most people. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. All right, so hey ho, let's go. Nick, you're so right. We know each other for a long time. Uh, in fact, I think I know you from your field marketing days. And from there, I've seen you go on to build relationships on LinkedIn to uh, wrapping in one of the older podcasts two years ago and to constantly evolving your expertise from ABM to customer marketing to evangelism in the world of event-led today. So let's start with that. You know, What's been your roadmap of success over the years? Your LinkedIn has evolved consistently. So what are the benefits that you've got what are the drawbacks or what are the lessons from there? Yeah, you know, it's it's been a really fun journey these last three plus years. And for me, it's something where I just really enjoy sharing content and sharing value with other people. I was never looking for anything in return. I just wanted to help other people. And when I when we first started talking, I was in, in field marketing and I was talking about field marketing on LinkedIn because, again, no one else was talking about it, what the misconceptions yeah. were. Funny enough, th- almost three and a half years later, no one still is talking about field marketing, <laughs> but that's that's a different story. But for me, the more that I did field marketing and I was you know doing it, I was like, this is cool. And then I got into kind of customer marketing and I was like, all right, this is cool. But then I started to think, you know what? I want to I want to be an evangelist. I want to just like advocate for a product and for a brand and for a category. And there's really I mean you think of people like Sangram. Yeah. And you know all these other people that are executives at companies. Udi is another good example. He's now chief evangelist at Gong. Like these executives should be evangelists. Like that's part of their job. But what about all the people that are maybe individual contributors or director level people that want to take this avenue that have audiences that your brand wants to actually tap into? They can be evangelists or another way that you could look at is like subject matter experts for that specific category or industry or whatever. Right, right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, the key thing is that, you know, um, because I've seen you speak about each of these different topics over the years, uh, how difficult was it to, you know, shed the field marketer brand to move into customer marketing and then the the current, your evangelist role that you have at Airmate? Yeah, it wasn't actually, it wasn't actually that hard. I was, well, I, I should say that I was fortunate enough to have some people that like supported me in, along the way and they just were not like, they were like, hey, you know, we're going to give you these opportunities to be able to kind of like go out and like do your thing. And I was already like doing evangelist work by posting on LinkedIn. And the funny thing is like, take Alice, for example, I never actually talked about the company, but people just enjoyed my thoughts around specific topics. And when I was at Clary, same thing. It was like, you were the failed marketing guy. Like that was what you were known as. Um, And so you're technically a subject matter expert or doing evangelism at that point. It's just about how do you actually formulate that into an actual role or program within the company? Right, right. So do you think right now 
you know, field marketing and uh, events are kind of connected. Back in the day when field marketing was a thing for the first time, originally people thought, I'm talking pre-COVID. At that time, it was primarily looked at uh, supporting events. Then COVID changed a lot of things. And do you think there's a straight connection to what you do with uh, EventLit today? Yeah, I I think so. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, in-person stuff has come back, but virtual because of COVID really kind of skyrocketed. And I think that you have to think of it as like events should not be an afterthought to your your go-to-market strategy. It should be an integrated part of your go-to-market at the end of the day, because events actually drive a lot more pipeline and revenue than people think if you do them the correct way. And that includes that includes like the pre, during, and post-event. Yeah. And so we've kind of coined the term like event-led growth. That's been a huge thing for us. And we've just kind of doubled down on that whole aspect of it. Right, right. Let's talk about that. Uh, you know, uh, what is the idea of event-led growth? You know, we all know PLG. Of course, marketers have then coined the product-led content side. Uh, so what is event-led growth and how does it work? Yeah, I mean, it really comes down to three things. Experience, engagement, data. If you do those three things, you can make your experience, your engagement within the event and the data that comes from the event that much better. Data, let's, let's, let's double down on that data piece because... So often marketers will do events, they'll pass the leads to sales or the SDR team, who knows if they're following up. But imagine if you can all of a sudden take that data and be like, hey, I know exactly what this person cares about. Here's how I'm going to actually pitch them. Here's how I'm going to personalize outreach to them. You start to collect a lot more on someone. So it's like taking first party data plus second party plus third party. And we call it event intent at the end of the day. When someone does an event, what is the actual intent that we want someone to create high intent? We want people to click and engage with the event itself. And then if you can create that experience and make it where they feel really, really excited to want to be there because of the speakers and the content, and because at the end of the day, the experience is about them, not the company, that's when you can succeed. Right, right. It's interesting you spoke about event intent. You know, it reminds me a lot about your Alice days where you used to talk about gifting as a strategy, wherein people just said, I want to do ABM, not really sure what what was the idea behind this? Because somebody from CS team or the marketing team asked them to reach out and start gifting people. So what is event-led intent? What are the specific factors that people look for? And do you come across people having an event strategy to start with? Yeah, I, I think it definitely varies on the industry. There's, you know, it depends how big your marketing team is too when it comes yeah. to events because field marketers do events. Sometimes you might have an actual event marketer within the company that is solely focused on the entire event strategy. Some yeah. bigger companies have even like people that are solely focused on virtual events and campaigns that go along with that. So I think it definitely varies. We're seeing that obviously B2B tech is is where the most success comes from. From prior to selling to B2B tech, we actually sold to anyone. So we were selling to universities, colleges, healthcare systems, basically anyone that wanted to run a one-off event, they could just run it on, on the platform and not have an issue. Now, I think it's when, it, when you're thinking of like event intent, what does that actually mean? Like for, I'll give you a good example. Like our platform, we were able to capture 64 data points on every event that we do. So we can know 64 different things that happen within an attendee so that we can actually put that into HubSpot or Salesforce. And then we can work with the sales team and the SDR team to really personalize that outreach because we know the content that resonates with that specific person. So when we're planning future events, 
we inform that entire strategy around what we're doing there. Right, right. No, I absolutely love that. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the role of content. So how do people use content um, in event? Of course, event in itself is content in some form, but how do you look at content as, is it a central piece of event-led growth or how does it work? Yeah, so every event that we do, we do this thing called the grade eight. And so Colleen, who runs our content and education, she, every event that we do, I partner really closely with her and we basically have eight different pieces of content that will come from one event. So you've got clips, you've got syndication that will move over to certain things. You've got blog posts. And so we've actually doubled down on actually sharing that strategy with a lot of other people too. And it works really well. If you can create content, because so many people do events, but they don't actually create content from it. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, what we've been testing is we do an event, we do clips within the event, and maybe it's a two-minute clip. We're actually putting that in the post-event follow-up. So if someone missed the event, they don't have to jump in and see the entire event. They could maybe see a nice two-minute clip of me and you having a really like heated conversation in a good way. And they're like, wow, like, okay, that, that, that hook caught me. And so then they're going to basically maybe click the replay or they're going to go read the blog post or they're going to go check out some specific piece. But yeah, we call it the grade eight and we tried every single event that we do. And we do like 26 events per quarter right now. Wow. We try to do eight pieces of content for the most part. Some, sometimes it varies, maybe a little less, but eight different pieces of content for every event that we do. Right, right. So when you spoke about those smaller snippets that you share, is it more like the chapters that we see on YouTube that you can pick up and share? Is it automated that way? Yeah. So yeah. So fortunately, we have a pretty big video and uh, design team that helps us with that piece of it. But we are actually starting to use AI in like the automation of clips. Right. And like content that comes from it, not like writing the content, but like helping determine what content makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then we're distributing it not only across all those social channels, but also in email, our sales teams using it in cadences and sequences that they're putting out. I'm personally using it and then sending additional personalized videos on top of it to key accounts. So there's definitely many ways, but you have to have a strategy on how to use the content. So you're not just like, all right, cool. I have all this content. What am I actually going to do with it? Right, right. So maybe, you know, if you can paint us a picture as to how does somebody use events as a key growth lever, you know, because this is new, if somebody starts with it, like probably, you know, in the past, people used to do probably four or five events a year. Or if you have a smaller budget, then you probably do two events you handpick. But how do you start using events as a core layer? If if maybe virtual events or physical events, so how do you go about it? Yeah, I think it's determining what what do you actually want as an outcome from it because you have to determine is this a top of funnel type of event that you want to drive, or is it yeah. a middle middle or bottom of the funnel, or even for customers? Because if you're doing acceleration, or if you're doing it for customer celebrations, or if you're doing it for lead gen at the top of the funnel, that's all going to change the way that you approach the specific event. So we right. run a couple different event series. So we want, run one called Power Hour. Basically what it is, is a product roadmap slash customer speaking about their experience. It's very much for those high intent people that are at the bottom of the funnel plus customers where we see expansion revenue. Then we do this thing called Eventions where I'm the host of, and it's very much partnering with subject matter experts in different pieces of the business and working with them where we just kind of have a fireside chat type thing. That's for low intent and medium intent people to hopefully convert them into high intent and get them to want to talk to us. And then we do a lot of co-hosted and co-partner 
And um, we do another thing where we actually give our platform away for to a lot of people. And they're using the platform because the best demo that we can give is someone experiencing the platform firsthand. Yeah. So if we can partner with key people in our ICP where we give them the platform, they run their events, but then they're also sharing the registration list with us. It's a great way for us to get additional awareness. Right, right. So how did you arrive at this uh, term called event-led growth? That's pretty interesting. And uh, probably I've not heard it before you guys started using it. So how did that come up? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. This was way before my time. Mark Killens, who's our, our CMO. Yeah. So he, he's been at AirMeet for about a year now. And so he actually coined that right when he got here. He was... He was very much a fan of it and like he, no one was talking about it. How do you actually put the attendee first in everything that you do? And I think his whole vision was so many companies have a company first mindset when it comes to your go to market, but how do you put a people first go to market when it actually matters? So everything that we do is very much centered around that people first go to market. So the events, the content, the messaging, the positioning, it all goes back to a people first go to market because we know people buy from people. So if we can make that experience really elevated where people are blown away from an actual person versus a company handle or a company email address, it just goes that much further. Right. So from an experiential standpoint, uh, you know, what does that people first mean? I mean, of course, people say customer first, but it's still always trying to uh, look at your revenue first. Similarly, when you say people first, how does it practically work? Yeah, so you know, there's a few things behind it. So let's take an ebook for example. So many times companies will put out ebooks. It's branded from the company. The person that actually helped write that ebook is nowhere to be found. But what if you took that ebook and you had an author page about that person on your marketing team that helped write it? Get to know more about that person. That's like right. the first side. And then when you send out your emails for your events, so many times it's like marketing at airmeet.com. But what if you sent it from my personal email address? And when you replied, it actually went to my personal email address, not some alias. So we're trying to put the person at the center of everything where it's like, if you reply, or if you ask a question, you're going to get a live person, you're not going to get a corporate stuffy type of answer. And that's where we try to actually live it. It's like transparent pricing is another piece of it. So many companies don't like to put their pricing on their websites, really yeah. weird. Yeah. And so we said, you know what, we're going to be transparent, go to our pricing page, you'll find our pricing. If you want to ask me what the pricing is, I will tell you like, there's nothing to hide. I don't know why companies hide from pricing, but it's to promote transparency. It's to promote the people that work within your organization, because ultimately, we know they're the ones that are driving the needle in the bottom line for the company, especially, you know, these people that are creators and these people that have big audiences. Let's be honest, at Alice, I drove $2 million in pipeline. Alice didn't drive $2 million in pipeline. I did. Yeah. Um, and so you, that person should be getting the credit for it. Right. No, I really love that. Those examples, you know, though it looks like smaller things that you could have always easily done, uh, but that does make a lot of impact. Absolutely love it. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, your role as an evangelist. So as I said earlier in the, in the beginning, you know, everybody says they want to be an uh, evangelist. And of course, you know, probably one of the earliest people that people get inspired by is looking at Guy Kawasaki saying that I want to be like him. But what does that role mean, you know, uh, in terms of your KPIs and what you're doing at your company as an evangelist? Yeah, you know, I think that it's definitely changed a lot. And you're seeing 
on the B2B side, a lot of people that are subject matter experts or creators that are moving or not even moving into these types of roles, companies are creating these types of roles for these people. And that's the beauty of it because it's like, if I can jump on prospect calls or customer calls as a marketer and we sell to marketers, that's going to be a lot more appealing than a salesperson jumping on a call. And I guarantee you it's going to drive a lot more business. Now, the piece that I'm really you know, measured on at the end of the day is how much pipeline am I actually sourcing and influencing, as well as you know, am I converting low intent to high intent through the conversations that I'm having? It's it's kind of like you have to take you know, event-led growth. Many people don't know what it is. So I'm trying to evangelize, not air meet. I'm trying to evangelize what event-led growth actually is because it's going to be a better marketing strategy for your team. Ultimately, you pick if air meets the right platform for you or not. I, I, don't, I don't care at that point, but I just want more awareness around this category and what it can actually do for a company to make sure that we're all being better as marketers at the end of the day. Right, right. Yeah, that reminds me of how Mark Benioff started, uh, you know, promoting the cloud instead of Salesforce. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So when you say sourced revenue through your uh, typical role, because it's it's very, very difficult to attribute because you're probably on calls with uh, a lot of people. And then, of course, you are creating content in so many places and you are a creator yourself with your newsletters and your podcasts and all of that. So how easy or difficult is it to really measure and say that this came through Nick? Yeah, I mean it's 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 not easy. I mean self-reported attribution is is what we're using to measure a big piece of it. And then if there's additional pieces where I'm talking to a prospect or something, I can make sure to tag it properly in the uh the CRM. But like nothing's ever going to be perfect. And I think that's a big piece of it. I think the uh, the larger piece is these companies hire these people as evangelists or as creators, as someone that knows they're going to drive brand affinity over time and they're going to drive yeah. brand awareness of people wanting to know. And I'll give you a good example. I mean, we're based in India, the, the company, and North America has been a, a big growth channel for us, at least in 2023. But no one knew who Airmeet was in North America. It was very much, we were really like, we were well-known in India, we were well-known in um, EMEA and like other places. But when it came to North America, they were like, oh, like, what do you guys even do? I never even heard of you. But because of Mark, because of myself, we've been able to drive so many additional opportunities because of the awareness through the content that we create, the yeah. podcast that we're on, the speaking opportunities. Because when someone goes to listen to this and they say, oh, Nick, oh, what's Airmeet? They're going to go click my profile. They're going to click what Airmeet does. They're going to be like, oh, weird. I use a competitor. I'm going to at least put this on my radar now. And that's yeah. at least better than we were before. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And for anybody who's trying to get into this role, uh, you know, can you give us a glimpse into what your daily work looks like? Yeah, you know, I think I think every day is different. That's the beauty of it. And I yeah. think it, it's a lot of cases you have evangelists already within your company that you should probably promote internally. Um, like you were a great example of that as well. And it's like, you're out there, the people that are out talking to prospects, talking to customers, doing these events and these speaking sessions are probably the people that you want to elevate into this type of role. Now, a lot of B2B companies can't afford to pay someone solely for an evangelist type of role. And it usually gets like grouped together with something else. Like for me, it's like events, partnerships, community, social. In the at Alice, it was with customer marketing. So usually it's grouped with something else, but it is a big focus. Now, what's to say by the end of 2023, you won't see more companies just 100% going all in and hiring people specifically for this? 
I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, but every day is completely different. Like, you know, I'll use yes, yesterday, for example, I was on three prospect calls, two customer calls. I did two podcasts. I created some TikTok videos that I moved over to YouTube and Instagram. And then I did some LinkedIn posts. I wrote my next newsletter. So it's like, Every day is different. It really depends. And that's, you know, I don't think I could do the same thing every day, nine to five. I would get very, very bored. Field marketing was the same way, completely different. And I think that's probably why I actually like a lot that I do now. Right, right. Say, for example, if somebody looked into your uh, click up for a given sprint, <laughs> how easy is it to predict your schedule? <laughs> I think I touch a lot of different pieces within the marketing organization. For example, right. like I was doing a sales training the other day. So like I help with sales enablement because I am a user of the product. I am yeah. a key persona of something like this. And so I led a 45 minute sales training on like what the sales team should be looking at when they're talking to field and event marketers, for example. And I work on messaging. I work with like the product team on product roadmap because again, I know of stuff that I would want personally if I can help influence that. A lot of people like me would probably want something similar. And then it's like, you know, you're just, you're doing a lot of different events. You're talking to a lot of different people, but it's not like, it's not that a lot of your projects alone are, are out there, but you're influencing a lot of the other projects or helping collaborate on a lot of the other projects. Right, right. Absolutely love that. All right. So that brings us to the second half of the podcast, which we call the rapid fire. <laughs> I'm going to shoot five quick pointed questions at you. The questions may be short. The answers need not be. So you can speak whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Cool. I'm ready. All right. Let's go. Here we go. Question number one, what is your hot take on AI-generated content tools? Oof. <laughs> you know, I, I, think, I think that AI can help marketers automate a lot of the tedious tasks that are out there, which is what I want to personally use it for. Now, I don't think that it should be used as the sole answer to post a blog or create social exactly. media content. You still need the human element behind it because people can tell in authenticity when they see it. And I'll give you a good example. And I know you've seen this before. It's like people are now using AI to reply to LinkedIn posts. And yeah. all it is, is just regurgitating <laughs> what that person wrote in the post. And it's very easy to tell what yeah. was written by AI versus a real person. Now, I do think that it's going only going to get better at time, but I think it's it's a way to help you as a marketer and a creator to accelerate a lot of these things, but it's not going to replace you at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Never replace building relationships with AI. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Here's question number two. All things being equal, would you choose in-person events or would you choose virtual events and why? I would choose in-person events personally. Funny, it's weird because I work for a virtual event platform, but um, in-person events, like micro in-person events, I should say, like I want those small, intimate experiences where I can truly get to build relationships with people. Plus it's like when you're in person, you can create content and it just, it, it, it's a lot funner. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I would be happy to talk to people in person all day. I love that. All right, so question number three. What's one hope that you have about the future of creator economy? I hope more more companies in the MarTech and sales tech space adopt it. B2C is way ahead. Um, B2B is lacking. I think that we're very much at the early adopter phase where some people get it. 
the issue is a lot of marketing leaders don't understand modern day marketing and they're afraid to take a risk on something because they're so used to the status quo of what they're doing. But I just would love to see more companies adopt this creator mindset where it's like, I think it's really three things. It's like influencer marketing, where it's very much integrated into your strategy. There's the approach where you hire creators onto your marketing team. Lavender is a good example of this. And then it's another thing where we were trying to do at Airmeet, where it's like this creator studio where you're collaborating with creators. It's not like a product or anything like that. Actually, has nothing to do with Airmeet itself, but it's just like a great way to bring people into the brand. Right, right. No, absolutely. I've seen you collaborating with Devin Reed. I've seen you collaborating with a lot of people. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. All right. So question number four, somebody reached out to you recently wanting to buy your LinkedIn page. Hypothetically speaking, let's say you agreed. And even if that was possible, what would be the price tag? <laughs> oh, it would have to be, it would have to be a couple million dollars. <laughs> um, yeah, it would be because, I mean, let's be honest though. You, I don't, I don't know why anyone would want to do that because you don't own the audience that's on exactly. the social media platform. So yeah. like if I could do it, but then uh, continue to build like an email list for myself, like, cool. Like, all right, I'll sell it to you for a couple million dollars because it's like, you can't, I mean, you can just post content there. You can't do anything else outside yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, originally the trust was built with you. So yeah. of course that yeah. makes sense. Awesome. Here's the final rapid fire question. TikTok or LinkedIn, which one do you enjoy the most and why? I would still say LinkedIn just because it's, it's, it's been my go-to for almost three and a half years now. No, TikTok, I do like to like mindlessly scroll TikTok and I do create video content for TikTok. I just feel like we're at a point, at least in the US, where it could get banned tomorrow for all we know. So I'm going to actually start to double down on YouTube shorts. I think that is the real future for B2B companies. Yeah. And I'm going to start to definitely create more content for that. Right, right. Awesome. So with that, the five questions are done. You have hit a home run. That's awesome. <laughs> home run. Woo. <laughs> all right. For all the listeners over here, of course, they know you, uh, they know where to find you. But what's your preference? Is it LinkedIn? Is it email? Yeah, definitely LinkedIn. Shoot me a DM. I try to reply to every single person that sends me a DM. I, I hate the LinkedIn messenger. They should really fix it, but they continue yeah. to ignore it. But yeah, LinkedIn is, is the best place to find me. Right. Awesome. And uh, if you were to share a parting message before we wrap this up. I would say, you know, and it's it's. I would go back to my tagline, haters hate, creators create. And the reason being Love is it. there's always going to be people who hate the content that you put out there, but don't let that ever stop you from creating. Yeah, yeah. no, that's a great message. I don't have anything to add there. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Nick. It was such a pleasure talking to you and really appreciate you spending the time today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. <laughs>